Now, the reason why we're here in Habakkuk is I've read this scripture that we're going to look at in chapter 3, verse 17, a lot of times. And I've always thought, is this guy crazy? Now, I forgot to pray, didn't I? Did I pray? I didn't pray. Am I here? Or am I just an old guy? Well, let's pray first. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can be here and that we can listen to you and you can encourage us with the truth. And we're so glad that we have something to hold on to in these days that is true and is not a lie. And you love the truth. So we pray that you would use this word and encourage us and show us what is true and help us to live the truth. Bless our time of worship now in Jesus' name. Amen. So you read this scripture and you say, is Habakkuk crazy? Because it just seems like you can't really think the way he's doing. We haven't read the scripture yet. But I was reading this in my regular reading. And I had memorized this scripture and thought, gee, you know, I don't know it quite as well as I should. And so this is how you keep things that you've memorized in your memory. You have to review them. Did you know that? So if you want to keep scripture in your mind, you have to review. And that is what's going to keep it fresh in your mind. So I did that. And, you know, you think, how can you trust God like this? But I, I learned how Habakkuk could do that. And what he has done here is thought about the worst case scenario, which is dying. And Habakkuk is not afraid to die because his life is not based on food, what he's going to eat, or anything material. Habakkuk has eternal life, the very life of God himself. Now, I'm going to read this in context and starting in chapter 3 of Habakkuk with verse 16. Here's what it says. Everybody got that? Habakkuk chapter 3 from verse 16. It says, When I heard... My body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, 
nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Now, see, you read that verse 17, and you understand that if all of these things happened, it would be a perfect disaster. Because if you don't have any figs, and no grapes, and no olives, and no wheat, and no sheep, and no cattle, what are you going to eat? You might have the last year's harvest that you've stored, put away, and you can live off of that for a little while, but then it runs out, and so you know that sometime in the future, you're facing Starvation. Your food is going to run out. And that time is coming. So your future is death. And somebody reading this would think just that. Boy, you know, if that happens, you're going to die. And that's why it's hard to understand why Habakkuk would rejoice in the Lord. And joy in the God of his salvation, you're thinking, what? What kind of drugs are you on? So, you got to think about the whole context for the book. And the context is, disaster is coming. Because in the beginning, Habakkuk says to God, you know, things are terrible, and you're not listening to me. And God says, sure, I'm listening to you. In fact, I'm raising up the Babylonians to destroy this place. And Habakkuk says, what? They're worse than we are. They're idolaters. How can you do that? God says, you know what? Either you have a relationship with me and you're alive, or you have no relationship with me and you're dead. And he says that in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, where it says, Behold the proud, his soul is not right within him, but the just will live by faith. And the, the point is, no proud person has a relationship with God. Because when you're proud, of course, you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And in reality, you're not that good a person. So the proud person is basing his life on a lie, that I'm actually a great person. But as a result, a proud person does not admit there is anybody higher than him that he needs to submit to, like God. He doesn't submit to God as creator, creator, 
as provider, as the one that he should listen to. So he ends up saying, you know, I I happened by accident. There is no God above me, no design or purpose in my existing. My purpose is what I make it. If I like it, it's good. If I don't like it, it's bad. Now, the result of pride is every wicked thing. In Habakkuk here, I'm not going to say it right. I'm used to saying it this way all my life because that's the way my mother taught it to me when she taught me the books of the Bible. So I'm blaming it this morning on my mom. (laughs) It says, The proud man transgresses by wine, enlarges his desire like Sheol, covets evil, puts his trust in riches that he may be delivered by its power, violence, oppression, idolatry. Anything goes because it's all about me and I'm looking out for number one. And one thing the proud person does not do is think about death. That is a morbid thing. Have you ever talked about death with people? They go, oh, why are you doing that? Don't do that. I don't like that. That's because they don't know where they're going when they die. Really, if you have that kind of thought, you have to get everything that's good right here and right now. That's why people do the extreme things that they do that are wrong because of themselves. Because I want lots of money and that's how you, you know, supply all of your needs. And so you lie and you cheat and you steal to get the money so that you can take care of all your needs. Or you just work like crazy and store up all this wealth. But then God says, you fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. So who's going to get those things that you've worked that hard to get? So, for a proud person, this life is it. And chapter 3 is about God coming in judgment. And especially verse 16 Habakkuk really understands what's coming more than most. He says, when I heard, my body trembled. He is very aware. Judgment is coming. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to invade. They're going to kill people. Death is on the way. And the ironic thing is, here is a group of proud people living for themselves, who refuse to think about death. And yet God says they will think about death anyway, because it's coming. They'll have to face it. They won't be ready for it. The worst case scenario is coming upon them. Now Habakkuk has already thought about death. 
And he's dealing with death in the only way possible. He has a relationship with God. He is the just person who lives by faith. And so we get to see here kind of a a real-time picture of what it means to live by faith. Even though the worst-case scenario is on the way, like every one of us is going to die, right? We all know that. It's on the way, and even this time comes. There's no harvest. There's no food. Certain death in the future, yet it will not affect Habakkuk. He's still going to have joy and peace and hope. He can expect good things in the future because his life is not based on food. Now, if it's there, that's a good thing. Habakkuk still likes food. He's not saying yuck pooey. But if it's not there, it does not affect his life. His physical existence would end. But his spiritual existence would not end. He says, the Lord God is my strength. And that's the same as saying, he is my life. Because as you have strength, you have life. And the less strength you have, the less life you have. Now, if you run out of strength, you run out of life. Right? So, what kind of strength does Habakkuk have? And he says, I live because of God's salvation. He has ransomed me and delivered me from my sins. And it turns out that all of God's people have this in common. All of God's people are redeemed, ransomed from the result of their sins. This goes back right to God delivering Israel from Egypt. It happened with a blood sacrifice that redeems them. And this is the whole case ever since. God always redeems his people for himself so that he will be their God and they will be his people. So that life isn't dependent on if there's food there or not or if there's a bank account there, or not. It depends on God being there and Him supporting our life. So, what happens when you die? What's going to happen to you? Well, you know, this earthly existence isn't going to go on forever. And you know, everything is wearing out. Have you noticed? And you know, you want to leap out of bed. 
you find that your 17-year-old self has turned into this 65-year-old thing. It's like, come on, granddad, get with the program. I'll catch up to you. But you're that 65-year-old granddad. It's like, what? Where'd the old costume go? It's like there's supposed to be an S there. What the? So you accumulate these health issues. Now, you younger folk don't have any yet. Rest assured, they're on the way. You're going to wake up one day and have a health issue that you can't get rid of. Just get off of me. No, I'm yours forever. Embrace me. Every one of those health issues is like a step down that you will never go back up the stairs ever again. And you keep accumulating all this equipment to keep your life going. And then when you get to the bottom, there's Jesus. And he says, put that stuff down. You're done. (laughs) Come with me. Yes, sir. You're free. I'm alive. How wonderful is that? Psalm 118 says, I will not die, but live and tell of the works of the Lord. That's where we're headed when we're trusting in Jesus. Now, how do I know this? What is my authority for this? And the answer is Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And he is the Redeemer who pays the ransom for our sin that we might be released so that God no longer is angry toward us so that he has no more resentment for the wickedness, for the forgetfulness, for leaving incomplete what I should have completed. He says, I'm good. That pays me back so fully that I'm satisfied. And I say, come here, you. Yes. So that when you stand before him, he is not going to have that angry kind of, what are you doing here? I'm not sure. But actually, it's going to be that, come here. I've waited a long time for this. I want that. Now, this new life, it means transformation. Notice it says in verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet 
and he will make me walk on my high hills, not my high heels. We need to get this interpretation straight. Because you can't wear high heels and go like a mountain goat. Now, none of us start out in life with deer's feet. We all got flat feet. We think like people who live on nice flat grounds, you need food. You got to have figs, you got to have wheat, you got to have cattle, got to have sheep. That's it. That's life. But this is a different kind of thinking, and it's in a different environment. It's not flat. It goes practically straight up. And what God does is make each one of us suited for that new environment. All right? So have you ever seen videos of mountain goats? I saw one where one was kind of walking around on kind of a brickwork, and, and, and then it was going to walk up this sheer I mean, it goes practically straight up. And I'm going, oh, that little fragile thing, you know, with a really intelligent look on its face, too. And I think, is it going to just... Goes right straight up. Looking at that thing, it's IQ minus four. How does it do that? And it just does. It just... I would never be able to do that. But this little thing can do it while chewing gum, evidently. <laughs> it just does it. And I go, wow, that's what God does. And the environment is high hills, not the Hebrew word talking about mountains, but it's one that's used a lot of times to describe places of worship. And this is a pagan idea that you want to get close to the God you're worshiping, so you take a high place and you build an altar there, and that's where you go to sacrifice and worship the God. And you know, Israel had high places as well before the temple was built. So this is kind of the idea that life is no longer based on what do I eat and all the physical needs of life, but it's based on a new thing of serving God and worshiping God. Because that's what you do on a high hill. Which means it's about purpose. My life has a greater purpose than what do I eat? What kind of clothes do I wear? Because up here in these practically straight up hills, there are no fig trees. There's no olive trees. There's no wheat, no cattle. So somebody with flat feet could say, this is not practical. What are you going to eat? 
And Jesus answered that question in John chapter 4. Remember, he got to this well in Samaria, and everybody was hungry, so he sent the disciples to go in and get some food. And while they were gone, he talks to this lady and tells her that he's the Messiah, and she believes him and runs off to tell everybody, and the disciples get back with food. Here, master, eat. And Jesus says, I got food to eat you guys don't know anything about. And they go, what? Who gave them food? And he says, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. Now, some people would hear that and go, oh, get out of here. That's spiritual. But seriously, what's for lunch? Don't be playing around with my stomach. But here's the thing about the will of God that I've noticed is that when you're doing it, it's amazingly satisfying. Like you go, wow. You get done witnessing to somebody and you might have been scared beforehand, but you're in it. And it's so amazing that when you get done, you want to say, okay, who's next? Now serving number 47. Who's number 47? Come on. It's very satisfying. But then, see, somebody with flat feet would say, well, that, that's still not practical. What good is it to God if you're dead? If you don't eat? And you know, that's exactly what the devil said to Jesus. Remember when he was out in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil says, you know, you're, you're starving to death right now, and you're really able to talk to that stone and say you should become bread. You can feed yourself, and I don't know what God is thinking out there, but evidently he's forgotten to tell you to eat. Now, what good are you to God if you're dead? So go ahead and just make breakfast. And Jesus says, it's also written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you all remember the will that Jesus came to establish is that he should die for the sins of the world. See, that's the will of God. And here's the devil trying to say, well, you need to stay alive. You need to stay alive. You need to stay alive. And Jesus says, no, I don't. Because, see, if I die starving, God's going to have to raise me from the dead. But if I provide for my own needs... When he hasn't told me to, I'm sinning. I'm going to die spiritually. So see, Jesus was saying, that's the most important thing, to fulfill the will of God. That's my life. So I'm not going to prolong my physical life. That's, that's up to God. I'm going to keep my relationship with the Father that's my life. 
See, Habakkuk has the same relationship to God. The same purpose. God is my life. He's my strength. I want to worship him and serve him. Those two things are interchangeable. Worship, service. What were we talking about the other night? How chai is the word for tea. So when you say chai tea, you're actually saying tea tea. Well, worship service is the same thing. You worship, you serve. They are the same thing. And he says, you know, if there's no food and I die, the Lord will receive me to to himself. Now, is it true that God does not care if you eat? Is that what the scriptures are saying? And that's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry then about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. The Gentiles are all seeking these things. That's what they give all their attention to. But as for you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. They're spare change as far as God is concerned. It's not that big a deal. But up on these high hills, there is the purpose of God. That's what you live for. And that's what you die for. And really, you know, when you do what God wants and you finish the work, you are done. You don't have to stick around. So think about dying. Let's think this morning about if we had five minutes left to live. And imagine somebody coming in and saying, don't worry, I've got a basket full of figs for you. And I have some olives, and here's a sheep. How do you feel? Does that help? And you would say no. Get these things out of here. I don't care about food anymore. Because the real issue is, will God receive me? That is the only thing that will comfort and strengthen your heart when you have five minutes left to live. And if you know that God will receive you, you will be ready. Because, like the psalmist said, I will not die, but I will live. And I thought about where we're going. It says this in Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, 
and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's where we're going. We're going to see God. And all those people that have died in faith, and they're there right now, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. There's only one way to become righteous, and that is to receive God's righteousness, which is sufficient and perfect, and it's all bound up in Jesus. So, I trust that you have confessed your sins to him, and that you trusted that he died for you, and spilled his blood. And it's that blood that washes you and cleanses you and makes you righteous before God. There is no substitute for that blood. If you try to trust in anything else, you're going to find your life very fragile and wobbly because you'll never know, have I done enough to make God happy? You can think of all sorts of things you haven't done. And of those things you did, you did them badly. And man, you're going to get scared to death. But when you think about Jesus dying for you, and shedding his blood for you, and for him hanging on the cross and saying, it is finished. You have a solid foundation for your feet, and you know that he will receive you. And so this is all your hope and all your life, right here. So then, once that is taken care of, then you can pray, okay, God, change my feet. Change my feet so I can walk straight up a hill that I never thought I could walk up. It's sort of funny the way it changes your life, not about what's next for eating, but, you know, my next step could kill me. I want to walk very carefully. Isn't that important? So you take care about that next step. Is it the right one? How about this step? You want to walk very carefully up on the high hills. But you know, God is going to answer your prayer. He's going to change the way you walk. So that you're not going to be worried about food. You're not going to be worried about dying. Eternal life starts right here and right now. 
and you can rejoice in God and in his salvation. Has everybody done that? You know, if you haven't, you can always pray right now, like what we're going to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you give eternal life. And this life is in your Son. And the one who has the Son of God has eternal life. And the one who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. Thank you so much for loving us and giving us your Son. And we pray, Lord, that you would make our feet like deer's feet. Help us to walk in this new environment. Doing what you want. Making you happy with our lives. Thank you so much, Lord. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.